Rockheads. Pick that wedgie later and listen up. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Karen Cavallero here to announce show number 55 with guest Kevin McNish, recorded live Friday, March 12, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering classes remotely online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And by DevTeach, a new breed of developers conference done by developers for developers. June 19th through the 22nd in beautiful Montreal. Online at www.devteach.com. And now, a man who's happier than Martha Stewart's prison, bitch, Carl Franklin. <laughs> We're in trouble. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. That was great. Hey, this is Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut, and you're listening to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. Uh, as always, let me introduce my partner in crime in, in the studio, in the flesh, Mr. Rory. That's right. I'm badass Blythe. How you doing? Hey. <laughs> Real badass, huh? Yeah. Just a few minutes Hi. ago, he was singing I'm a little teapot to the <laughs> listeners. That's uh, kind of listening, bruiser I am. Yeah. Listening to the sound check. Um, a little, just before we get started, Rory, a little confusion out there about the numbering of our shows sure. that I want to set straight. People think that the show number is somehow equivalent to the ID in the database, which we are using as a key for the to look up the show. And that's not the case. The shows are actually in order, uh, except that this week, uh, last week, we did show number 54. We skipped over 53 because show number 53 is actually a custom special show that we did just for Dev Days for people who want to understand about Dev Days. So we're going to put 53 up. But we're going to put it up, uh, you know, sometime this week along with show 55, which is this one. All right. So so you don't need to email me about the order of the shows, how we're missing things. And uh, we're all set. We know we know what we're doing. So how you been, man? I've been pretty good. Went out last night with you, had the New England diner experience. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> was it last night or this morning? I Whatever it was. It. Yeah, that, that was my most recent East Coast uh you know, experience, and I had never experienced anything like that before. I mean, we, we go out there, Carl Carl, and Jeff, the sound guy, say, you know, we got this great thing we got to show you. It's called a diner, all right? <laughs> and it's sort of like this thing that has somehow flown under the radar of the EPA and the FDA and uh, CIA, FBI, XML, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so they take me out there. Carl drives for like 20 minutes out in the middle of the woods, and we get out there, and it's this little kind of low-lit suspicious looking kind of hole in the wall sort of place and uh looks like a train car sure yeah, yeah that they stole and we sit down <laughs> and uh we're just kind of going through the whole regular restaurant thing it's all seeming normal and then we get to my order and i'm like yeah i think i'm gonna have this short stack of hotcakes and the waitress looks at me and she says no 
<laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know, absolutely no follow up, right? Oh, that was that was after she asked you what you wanted to drink, right? So, yeah, and I changed my mind, and she was afraid I was going to change my mind after after the pancakes too, right? Because I said I didn't want anything, then I said I wanted ginger ale, and she didn't like my indecisiveness, so she didn't right. want to work with me anymore. Right. And, then, and then Jeff said something that managed <laughs> to piss her off to the point that she actually attacked him with her order ticket book. <laughs> And promptly reached over and started yanking out Carl's chest hair. Yeah, I don't right? know what this that is, was this all is about. Not, this is not Denny's, you know? <laughs> Different kind of experience. So that was cool. Everything was deep fried. You know, you got <laughs> deep fried They were pancakes. a little surly there last night. <laughs> it was fun. Little, little, deep yeah. fried menus. They, they, they actually found out a way to deep fry grease and serve that. Everything was deep fried. <laughs> so that was the New England experience of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the diner, you know, it's a classic thing. It's not just a New England thing, though. I mean, it's more like you didn't East get Coast, out in Portland. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't have that in Portland. We had I, a place we called the Schwanky Beef mm. where they deep fried things, but it wasn't like that. Everybody was like, may I take your order, please? I bet. Hello. I Thank bet. you for coming to our establishment. <laughs> yes, We're okay, really happy but to have you today. I bet they have diners in, in Oregon. Oh, I'm afraid uh, not. Really? No. Well, we'll have to settle this. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe an, an alert listener can set us straight. Or maybe we can just kick each other's asses after the show. <laughs> That's the way we settle things, right? Don't mess with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, as you know, Rory, at this time, we like to read email. Yeah. That people send in. And uh, we like to offload some swag. And the swag we have today is the official .NET Rocks clock. Sweet. And, yep. It's got the logo and, and our ugly pictures up there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, nice lettering and stuff. So... The, the people who sent an email and, and messages that we liked, uh, we're going to read here and we're going to send my clock. My mom almost died when she found out about the clock. My boy is on a clock. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you Pretty come from cool. a whole family of people who don't get out. Okay. <laughs> and don't have clocks. And yeah. don't have clocks. First one is from Nick Swan and he's in the UK. He says, I love .NET Rocks. I download it and listen to the show on my iPod on the train every day. Keep up the good work cool every day sounds like he's probably catching up he's probably catching up pretty just, soon he's going to run out of material right well that's what you do though when you're just getting into .NET rocks right. a lot of people go back and re-download everything that's right starting from day one and actually you know you may think that this is disposable content but it's not There's, it's just as relevant now. it's just as relevant now as it yeah. was then so and just as funny well okay maybe not as funny because <laughs> you've actually brought us over the over the hump of what funny is what's up yeah <clears throat> so this one, and as listeners have begun to notice, I think I've been begun to notice that I've begun to talk like Rory now. Like Rory has this metaphysical, spiritual influence on everybody that comes into contact with him. We all start doing Rory-isms and, and talking like him. So, so if I start going, yeah, just shoot <laughs> me, okay? Uh, this one is from Chris Custer, who, and this is, the, the subject of this email is great. It's Log Home in Vermont. Now, Rory, you remember when you and Chris Sells were interviewing me? Oh yeah, on that show. Uh huh. And we talked about how how we all like would like to just go, ditch it all and take our laptops and go to Vermont, some cabin with a fireplace, but it's got to have electricity and T one. That's exactly the deal. Yeah, you ditch everything, leave society behind, leave everything, everything, everything behind, as long as you can get the internet one point five four four megabits per second. Yes. <laughs> so this guy actually. Wrote us, he has a long home. He says, Hey, Carl, uh, I'm a developer living your dream in Vermont. I caught the episode where you wish you were in Vermont in a log home with a wood stove. I was floored when I heard you guys talking about it. I live in what you described. I work for Vermont Electric Power Company and develop in C Sharp full time. I have a great success story. We have implemented the state's power trading system in ASP.NET and back end Windows services. 
allows the state utilities to input their power trades in near real time. In turn, our system talks to ISO New England in Massachusetts, where it is placed in the region-wide system. Uh, data is transferred in XML in both directions, to and from. We use HTTP objects in the framework to talk to ISO. ISO uses Java and Oracle on their end, and we use .NET. It's a great inter-platform success. At this time, our backend is Oracle, but we are changing to SQL Server, waiting for Yukon. Anyway, check out our house on the web www.screenblast.com slash custer c-u-s-t-e-r slash house and i went and took a look at his house and chris man i am extremely jealous we wept all right extremely jealous i found carl just facing his hands tears running down his eyes and <clears throat> i couldn't help nice myself house. i had to stare it is a nice house. i had to stare at your fireplace for <laughs> quite a long time we comforted each other and moved yeah on. and there we go uh and enjoy your clock and hang it over your fireplace and send me a picture uh, this next one is from Simon Talker. All. I'm really enjoying the show this week, and this was after last week's show. But I l- just listened to Rory's music this week. Sorry, Carl, but this is the first time I haven't fast-forwarded through this section of the show. I download and listen at work. Uh, in the first track with Rory, the vocals reminded me a, a little of an 80s band, then Jericho. Hope you can squeeze some more tracks in in the future. And I promise to listen to Carl's next time. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Simon. Um, uh, about the show, Carl Prothman actually pointed out a possible reason we are currently having trouble with Plumtree connecting to an instance database. We figure that they are not using ADO 2.6, or we might be wrong, and it's our setup, allegedly. Thanks, Simon Tucker. Well, thank you, Simon. Enjoy your clock. Good info. See, somebody learned something, figured something out from listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, me. I learned a couple of things. Yeah. I always learn a couple of things. It's great. Uh, this one is from another Rory. Wow. Believe it or not, there are two of you, even though you have the Google superiority. There can be only one. <laughs> we will do battle when the time is right. <laughs> this is from Rory F. Becker. And this is about session application variable wrappers. After listening to that last .NET Rock show and hearing how Laurie likes to... Did I say Laurie? You did. It's okay. And hearing how Rory likes to wrap his session and application variables, I thought I'd pass on an alternative method of wrapping that can reduce the amount of wrapping code involved through the use of enumerations. The attached file... Uh, see the attached file. I've wrapped the application object in several enumerations. It prevents you from having to create a new class member for each new application variable and therefore allows you to just uh, use the enumeration instead. Again, .NET rocks, well, rocks. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So after we do the mail, we have another spot that we do, and this is Rory's moment to shine, uh, the Google Weirdos. Shine is a strong weirdos, word. Weirdos, 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 Yeah. Carl promised me we'd get a song for the spot, and uh, unfortunately, he was telling the truth. And <laughs> Google Weirdos, I have this site, neapolian.com, and uh, I like to check the logs regularly because it helps my self-esteem sometimes. And, uh, and uh, I go through and I look and I see how people are getting to the site. And what I really like to do is look to see what searches people have been stuffing into Google and how they're getting to my site. About 99% of them seem like they're not looking for me at all. They're looking for something sick and twisted and you know, really offensive. And uh, I take those searches and I do the segment on my site and on the show called Google Weirdos. 
where I just read off some of the more interesting searches. And as things have progressed and the segment's gotten more popular, people have started contacting me through Google. So they're sending me these little <laughs> one-line email messages through Google. So I like to, I like to read those first because that's almost like my little portion of the fan mail world. Right. Although a lot of it's sort of hate mail and I ignore those and I don't give them airtime because they make me sad. But there's, there's, some, there's some in here that are nice. So starting out, Google Weirdos, I, I have a nice note from somebody here. It says, Google Weirdo, Rory, you're so cool, from David Grossman. I have to read that for myself because most of the messages <laughs> people send me through Google Weirdos are just like heart-crushing, you right. know, step on your You suck soul. and Google Weirdos yeah, sucks. Right, I hate Google Weirdos. I hate you. I mean, there's not that many. <laughs> <clears throat> Enough, though. Okay. The second one, good observation, Rory Blythe. This makes Google look like a one-way anonymous email app. It's not entirely anonymous, though, and it's not entirely one way because I'm responding to you right now, so that's kind of cool. Got another one here. These are the creepy ones. I'll get you, Rory Blythe, and your little dog, too. I mean, how do you trace that? That's just creepy. Here's another one. You and your little dog. (laughs) Rory Blythe in bed with Microsoft. Ah. Yeah. Okay. And? (laughs) I mean, what? So you got the best girlfriend in the world. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? I'm a coke drinker. Right. Rory Blythe, my toe has something weird on it. Yeah, if it's not skin, I don't really know how to help you out with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Don't play one. Okay, Rory Blythe, I blame you for my wonderful life. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, that's pretty I, nice. I don't know what it means. Well, you have the blame Rory Blythe or just blame, blame Rory. Yeah, I, yeah I've got that it. link on my site. That's my email. Right. I'm not sure what the wonderful life thing is about, though, <laughs> but, uh, you know, all the same. Apparently, it's your fault. <laughs> right. We got another one here. Ask Rory Blythe. This person was... Make, was putting a few of these in. They were they all started with Ask Rory Blythe, like uh, almost like Dear Abby. So Ask Rory Blythe, who's your favorite Beatle? And I got to say George Martin, as a matter of fact. Behind every good band, there's a really good producer. Um, got another one here. Where is the Carl Franklin gay marriage to Chris Sells? So come on, Carl. Like, when are you and Chris going to tie the knot? It's a good question. You know, you guys have been kind of tiptoeing around a bit. You know, come on, out with it. All right. We got another one here. The, that, that's the end of the Rory ones. We got another one here. So, uh, Doc, I can't stop singing the green, green grass of home. I actually <laughs> had that problem. I was singing it for about three weeks straight. I love that song. Got another one here. Silicone Chicken. I like that because it sounds sort of like a Japanese pop band, you know? Silicone Chicken. I don't know if you keep up on this sort of stuff, but they always have some weird messed up name with chicken in the title. Got another one here. Outsource this, bitch. <laughs> I don't know what that's from. Moving on. We've we've got the oh, significance man. of fortune cookies. Yeah, only the, your whole life, man. You know, only only like your fate. I love that. The significance of fortune cookies. You get a fortune, you're gullible. You know, that's what they should say. <laughs> got another one here. Anti-barf. Me too. We should start a club. Countries where bigamy is legal. This is a person who has some serious relationship <laughs> issues going on and is pondering moving out of the country just to handle them got another one here what is your stomach like you know it's kind of stomachy i mean what are you searching for what do you want out of google sometimes i I really wonder what people are trying to get out of google here got another one how to get my money out of iranian bank well i mean why'd you put it there see i go down the street and i just go to the local branch bank of america they give me my money i keep it there it's all cool you know i mean maybe they've got a good interest rate out there i don't know what's going on but you got some problems these people are strange man (laughs) got another one here morals cannibalism homosexuality this is a deep philosophical discussion that had to be wow. solved oh, he must have been doing a college paper <laughs> <Right. or> she. <laughs> 
the influence of morals on homosexual cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Moving on. We've got cooking with pig milk. <laughs> All right, you're a nasty person. I don't know if you're listening to this show or who you are, but cooking with pig milk. That, just go to the pig milk recipe site, right? You know? Every kid likes a good, you know, like chocolate pig, pig milk, you know? Or Let's have a pig milk a sandwich. Eggnog pig milk. <laughs> Disgusting. Got another one here. And this is this is a this is a serious Google weirdo thing right here. This next one is coming up. Because this okay. is the one where there's no explanation you can really find. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is out there somewhere, but I have no idea what. Ceramic loin head hangings. <laughs> right? What is that? You're crazy. How'd you even turn on the You're computer? You're not making this up. No, I, I never make these up. This I, I just... couldn't. I don't have to. I don't have time. <laughs> you know, I assemble these like 12 seconds before the show starts. I just go yank, 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 yank. Got another one here. I have a funny shaped head, but I want a mohawk. I mean, what are these people trying to get out of Google? Like, you know, Google's not an advice column. It's not a how-to sort of thing. And I'll, when they saw neopolian.com, why did they... Why what, did they go there? Why did they right. click there? Well, no, I can sympathize because my head is a hideous shape and I've written about it before. And I do want a mohawk, but I can't do it. Because oh. my head, if, if if there's no hair on it, and especially just hair down the middle, it looks like a traffic cone. It's really <laughs> bad. It's embarrassing. You paint it orange and cars will drive around it. I don't, I don't like it. All right. Last one is how to get ass. All right. Well, probably not on Google. Not you know, step one, leave the house. Look for other people. Yeah. All right. So that that's it for Google Weirdos this week. Oh, awesome, man. That was great. What do yeah. you guys think? Yeah. We, we got some, we got some weirdos, people weirdos, in the class. Weirdos, weirdos. We got a couple of students in the right in here today sitting in on the show. Yeah. Mike and Thomas. <laughs> yeah. We try to have a uh, somewhat of a live audience, you know. Yeah. And sometimes we don't even try, they just show up. So if you happen to be in the New London area <laughs> Friday at around noon, just come on by. And you like the radio show or you're homeless or whatever. I mean yeah. camp yeah. out here. We'll give you a, a chair and some headphones. So our uh, guest today, Rory, is Kevin McNish. And Kevin McNish has been around for a long time. He's an MVP. He is a president and chief software architect of Oak Leaf Enterprises Incorporated. He's a C-sharp MVP, man of, uh, of many talents. He's co-author of the book Professional UML with Visual Studio.net, author of the book .NET for Visual Fox Pro Developers. Wow, that's great. Hmm. Bridge that gap there. And has authored several articles for Code Magazine who's a sponsor of our show, and other developer journals. He's the chief software architect of the Mere Mortals framework for .NET, and we'll find out what that is in a minute. And he's also a well-known speaker and trainer throughout North America and Europe. He spends about half his time on the road training and mentoring companies to build well-designed, high-performance .NET desktop, internet, and smart device applications. Will you please welcome Kevin McNish. Hi, Kevin. Hey, hey Carl. How are you? Doing pretty well. Where are you located? Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. Good. Home of UVA, Thomas Jefferson, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I went to Virginia on our honeymoon, actually. It pretty much negates that whole Chris sells gay marriage thing right there. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I'm spoken for. But uh, yeah, we went to, uh, uh, drove through the Blue Ridge Mountains. We went to Monticello. We had some wine. It was good. We, we took the nickel shot, you know. If on the back of a nickel is Thomas Jefferson's home, Monticello, mm -hmm. and so we actually stood 
at that place where that picture was taken, you know, for wow. the nickel. The nickel shot. You East Coasters with all your history. I know. On the West Coast, we just go have a picnic at the Walmart. <laughs> so, Kevin, what are you up to these days? Oh, uh, getting ready to release the uh, next version of MereMortals.net. Uh, and what is that? It's a, f- a software framework? It's an application framework. Okay. Uh, for creating .NET applications, uh, web forms, wind forms, uh, smart device, etc. So it sort of fills in the gaps? The things that you do all the time and right you know, t- uh, basically integrates with visual studio.net and uh you know gives classes like business components that integrate well with uh, user interface classes so we look at what's broken in .net things like hmm. data binding uh you typically have to write tons of code to do that data binding yeah, that reminds me the of the secret uh, namespace of the week right which is it's a system.data.sql client cool so what kind of stuff are you doing uh, for smart devices? Uh, again, uh, business components and user interface controls, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, we're actually now also doing something with uh, a kind of a pre-pre-look at object spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, Microsoft announced uh, yesterday that uh, Widby won't be shipping until 2005, and object spaces is one of the big things people are looking forward to. And we're doing something in the next release of our framework that uh, gives you uh, early use of object spaces, and then you can move on to the real McCoy uh, once it's actually available. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, we were just asked a question about object spaces on the last show, and we had to claim stupid because we <laughs> hadn't heard about it. So you're obviously big into UML. Right. Um, I've, you know, just to take the other side, I've... I've heard a lot lately that people are getting away from UML or there's a perception that it's a waste of time or uh, people are bragging that there's no UML in our stuff. Um, what's what's up with that? I mean, what's can you give us a little history of, of UML and how people are using it and or not using it? Yeah, UML uh, really came to light in 1997 and it was adopted officially by OMG, Object Management Group, uh, which is a standards organization. And uh, before that, there were about 50 different methodology camps, uh, different syntaxes for uh, defining what does a class look like on a diagram, what's a method look like, and so right. on, what the relationships between them look like. Uh, UML came out, and uh, it was basically Rational Software who promoted it. And they said, standard oh, okay. war is over, and we've won, and everybody hated them for it. Right. Okay. But then they went back to the drawing board and got a whole bunch of other methodologists and companies like Microsoft involved, and they came out with UML 1.1, and it was adopted officially uh, as the way to document a software system. Visual Studio um, got into to UML in, in VB6, right? I mean, there was some modeling stuff in, v, in VB6, wasn't there? Yeah, and actually Microsoft uh, added UML diagrams to Visio. Right, right. So, uh, I mean, that's available in Visio Enterprise Architect right now. You can uh, if you've got that installed on your computer, you can go to the tools menu and reverse engineer your project and create diagrams out of it. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's the sort of thing where you get companies like Rational might come in and uh, I've had to clean up afterwards where it's just they're so in love with the process. I mean, you're doing UML diagrams of your doorknob. And, <laughs> uh, you end up with projects that just never get see the light of day because people are just UML so overanalyzing yeah. and that sort of thing. 
And is that what the criticism of UML has been? Or I mean, I'm I'm really stupid about UML, so I'm I'm totally taking a naive approach here. Yeah, that is the criticism of UML. You get people who are looking at it, and often the reaction is to do too much. Over-architect a bit, really. Yeah. Right, especially if you get companies who come in who are in love with the process. Right. Uh, you just go way overboard. So t- I actually spend a lot of time on the road, and what I'm doing is helping people find a good balance between different methodologies. Uh, so you do enough analysis of design up front that, you know, you're not constantly rewriting your application, but uh, not so much that it never sees the light of day. Hmm. So what are people using UML for right now? Because I've heard, and I think we've actually talked about this on past shows, that people are kind of, aren't they kind of getting away from modeling with yeah, UML that's, a bit? That's what I mentioned before. What's, uh, what's going on now? What's going on now, yeah. Well, uh, actually a lot of people are still doing modeling. Then you get things like extreme programming. Uh, where you move away from that. They're not mutually exclusive. You can still do extreme programming and do UML diagrams. But uh, often people who do UML diagrams are also doing something called the unified process that actually defines how do you create a software system from a diagram. Hmm. But uh, Microsoft's actually adding capabilities into Widby uh, via Whitehorse right. where they are putting some modeling capabilities into the product itself. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I actually really like that a lot. Well, I've actually just seen screenshots of Whitehorse. I mean, you can only focus on so many technologies at once, right? And I've kind of been putting a lot of energy into reading about Avalon and WinFS and Indigo and that sort of thing, but, and, and you know, the next generation technologies. But what is Whitehorse exactly? You want to talk about that for a minute? Like, what is it going to be doing for us? Well, uh, Whitehorse is really Microsoft's approach to uh Design, it's a design tool for service-oriented applications. Okay. Uh, and some of the stuff is higher level, where you can drag a web server onto a diagram and then drag some web services and connect it to that web server from hmm. a conceptual perspective. And uh, you can specify different aspects and configurations for a, your web server. And uh, you can validate, does this application, will this actually run on this web server or not? Hmm. So it's sort of a way of modeling an application. And, and does it generate code or what does it do? Um, it does. It wires everything up? and Right. It's actually uh, forward and reverse engineering. Hmm. Uh, you, you initially start out dragging and dropping these on the design surface. Uh, but then you can say, all right, I'm ready to implement this. And it's and a lot like BizTalk orchestration, isn't it? And just in terms of the interface, it's drag, drop connect, right. set properties, spit out code. Right. So there's that higher level look it provides. Then there's a lower level. Okay, let's look at classes and let's create relationships between them uh, and kind of a visual look at your classes and your application, which historically you would have done through Visio. Mm-hmm. But the problem with Visio is uh, reverse engineering is a one-way street. Right. Right. It's all or nothing. So I actually end up using, I use Rational XDE an object modeling tool that actually integrates with VisualStudio.net. It's got forward and reverse engineering and so on. But it costs a billion dollars. <laughs> so so tell us uh, what your experience or your, your thoughts have been about object spaces. What is your what is your impressions of it? And I know you briefly mentioned it before, but let's try to define that a little bit in more detail. Actually, uh, when I first heard about object spaces, I was, mm, I don't know if this is a good way to go. Uh, because a lot of what I do is very data-centric. 
there's really two approaches to creating business objects or entity objects. Uh, one is to have a business object return a data set, and then you work with that data set. You can bind to it and so on. The other approach is to create properties on your business object, right? You might pull the data back in, and you populate the properties on that business object from that data. Mm-hmm. And that's more the approach what you take with object spaces. But okay. Actually, object spaces completely encapsulates ADO.net. Really? You don't touch data tables. You don't touch data readers. You There's something called a persistence manager. Uh, you ask a persistence manager, give me a business object, and it returns an object to you that is already populated with these properties. And the, the way it knows that is a mapping file. So this is... Uh, Which is XML? Right, it's XML. And it says this property on this object uh, comes from this table and field. Okay. So all of that's encapsulated and data-driven in this XML file. And uh, you can do some great things with that. So now you've really... Uh, stepped back from ADO.net. You've stepped back also from worrying about, you know, this select statement is this way on Oracle, it's that way on SQL Server, and it's this way for access to Fox Pro. Kevin, do you lose the sort of data set features of maintaining, you know, diffgrams and changes and, uh, and, and all that great kind of stuff that the data set has built in? No, you can actually, uh, the Persistence Manager can tell it to track changes. Okay. And you can find out what's different in the object you've got now versus the one you originally returned and so on. So does it have like a sort of replacement for the data set? I mean, I'm trying to imagine how to get how to get collections of of objects that relate to each other. Well, you what you can get is you can either get single objects or you can get uh, collections of objects. There's for example an object reader uh, which will give you a forward-only, read-only, just like a data reader uh, collection but it of objects. Out objects. Okay. Or but, you can get an object okay. set, which is would be more like a data set. So it's just kind of like the the stuff we have now, except that the programmer interface is configurable instead of just having a data table or a data set or a data reader. Now you can m- make your own objects. Right. So I those gotcha. are defined in an XML table and. Uh, now the developer doesn't have to keep worrying about the database and the structure of it and muck with parameters and SQL statements and so on. Okay, I wanted to ask a question about that because what, what's going to happen when the database schema changes or, or when a table schema changes? Are we it, All that stuff is abstracted underneath or whatever, so w- when the programmer is dealing with one of these objects, they're just saying, I want the first name, and they're not having to worry about what's going on underneath and that mapping is handled in the XML file? Is that how right. it works? That's, that's right. Okay. That's mm, that's pretty that's, cool. That's I'm interested. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting more interested. interested. Now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. But the question is, how do you get that XML file? Generate it, right? Mm-hmm. And there are different. Uh, you know, Microsoft's got a tool that is creating to do that, and you know, we have yet to see what that will finally look like. Uh, but what we're looking at from a higher level perspective is driving it uh, from different tools. Uh, one of those approaches we're looking at is, are you familiar with uh, object role modeling tool in Visio? Sure. And right. Well, those maybe the, the listeners aren't. Okay, those are ORM diagrams, uh, object role modeling. Those diagrams allow you to de- declare uh, different entities uh, in your application. Originally, ORM is designed to create databases. 
and you can create these entities and specify relationships between them and so specify is it, constraints. Is this similar to UML? I'm, I'm, that's uh, what I'm it is applying. actually an alternate to UML. Ah. And they actually can complement each other. Honestly, you can do data modeling with the UML, but it really wasn't designed for it. It's kind of kludgy to do it, whereas sure. object role modeling was designed specifically for uh, creating databases. Wow. So this ships with uh, Visio Enterprise Architect. You can create these ORM models, and it'll generate a database for you, including all these great constraints business rules. Listener Eric Zjarbi from Australia wants to know if Whitehorse is a replacement for Visio. Um, I don't see it as such yet. And in fact, the, we asked the question at uh, PDC during the session, are these diagrams UML type diagrams? Do they go to the UML specification? And they said, not quite. Mm. So <laughs> we'll see what that means in the future. Hopefully they would they would make them so. Uh, he, he goes on to say, it sounds a bit clear that object spaces was designed for a certain for certain design scenarios. Could you please describe some of them? Is there any performance issue hmm. with object spaces? And finally, what are the main advantages in polymorphic queries? Yeah, I, he's probably talking about OPATH. Okay. Uh, the question is that Microsoft has come up with a syntax for how do you query for an object. Sure. So right now, if we're going straight to the database, uh, SQL syntax is pretty much the same across different databases, but there's differences. Uh, OPATH specifies a standard way to query for uh, a particular object from your database. And uh, it's up to the persistence manager to use the correct syntax for the back-end database. So the persistence manager and object spaces will work with SQL Server, Oracle, and so on. So you don't have to worry about what that syntax is because it will take care of that for you. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, and the other question was about, uh, was about scenarios where you'd use this and possible performance implications? Yeah, uh, you would use uh, this really in just about any type of application. Uh, if you're really doing something data intensive where you're really crunching some numbers, uh, if you were, you might just put that in a stored procedure, but if you were going to put the code in a business object, personally, I would still consider using uh, regular ADO.net from a performance perspective because hmm. there is a performance hit. Mm -hmm. uh, when you, especially dealing with large collections, it can be up to about 30% slower. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's significant. Right. But uh, if you have the everyday mundane stuff that you're using in a regular application, uh, it can be very performant. But uh, the object role modeling is great for creating database schemas. What we're doing now is hooking that into creating this XML map file for yeah, object you're talk, spaces. You're talking about object spaces. Yeah, okay. Right. So it goes, it, it goes down the data path now, but it's also great for creating this XML file instead. And in fact, you can even put those business rules in an XML file. So you can now have a diagram where you change the rule in one place. You can update the database with that rule. And now you can also update this uh, object uh, relational mapping file and have the business rule set there too. Hmm. So these are the sort of things that you know we're looking at, things that are coming. Uh, some very cool stuff. 
Uh, Kevin, can you tell us about a bit about your framework for Mere Mortals? How did that start, and, and what are some of the cool things that you can do with it? And an, another uh, caller asks, or not a caller, but a, a web listener, he wrote a message that says, you know, the, isn't .NET a framework? I mean, why do we need yet another framework? Yeah, the, the .NET is a framework uh, in one perspective. I mean, really, it's an object-oriented uh, Windows API. Right, uh, is basically what it is. With a lot of extra stuff. With a lot of extra stuff, can, including user interface controls and all that sort of thing. Can I interrupt right here? Should, should we talk about the difference between a framework and just a regular old library? Sure. You want, you want to talk about that for a minute, Kevin, just so that everybody knows like what's going on here, what the difference is between a framework and just, say, like my class project? Yeah, a, a framework. Are you talking specifically about .NET framework or an application framework? An application framework, for example. Yeah, an application framework uh, is a uh, higher level than what you would see with a .NET framework. .NET framework is a collection of classes, whereas an application framework brings those classes into higher service-level components. Uh, probably, uh, you look at some of Microsoft's application blocks, uh, right. achieve more of that sort of functionality. So it's just taking the idea of making things that are more specialized to the applications that you're writing and taking the grunt work that you still find yourself doing off your plate. And, and typically, a framework's going to be independent of uh, of the calling code. It's going to be just this totally encapsulated system in, instead right. of having like your weird app de- dependent libraries and things like that. Right. But as far as you know, using an application framework, that's a question we get all the time. Why do I need a framework if mm-hmm. I've already got the .NET framework? Sure. And one of the things I mentioned before is you look at data binding, and uh, with data binding in .NET, you have to write a few lines of code for every user interface control, right? You pull the data back, and now you're writing binding code. Uh, you're clearing right. a previous binding, setting this particular binding, and so on. Uh, but what we've done instead is we've subclassed all of the user interface controls in the .NET framework and added properties to those instead. And uh, we allow you to specify, I want to bind this user interface control to this business object. And it's basically a model view controller design pattern hmm. where with the business object retrieves data, it raises an event, and the user interface control responds to that event and binds to uh, the business object. Nice. And so does your framework touch on all sorts of areas like uh, user interface enhancements, uh, business object enhancements, data enhancements, etc.? It does. So again, a lot of the stuff you find yourself working in a program thinking, why am I writing this code? Is, right. it, is this a product you buy or is this something you make available? It is. Yeah. Okay. Well, how much does it cost, by the way? It is $6.99 per developer. Okay. We didn't want to turn this into a two-hour infomercial, but right. you know, a, lot of people are, a lot of people are using it. Why so. now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually, I'm still really interested in, in what you might be doing for smart devices. I mean, is, is there any area that you're particularly proud of, any problems that you've solved that where your product really shines in the smart device area? Well, this is an area we're just expanding into now. Okay. All right. Uh, so from the perspective of the same sort of things with making it easier to uh, work with user interface controls, and uh, you're really constrained in the uh, hardware by the sure. hardware of a smart device. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Microsoft's suggestions, and they say, you know, don't write 
good object-oriented programming code where, you know, you call one method to call another, call another, you know, try to keep that to a minimum, things like that. But uh, offloading, uh, for example, data access to a persistence manager the way you can with object spaces uh, allows you to have lighter weight business objects. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, those things can be more performant on a smart device than uh, hmm. you might have otherwise. Uh, hmm. Although smart devices often access web services yeah, that's been in a, order to get the a job real problem done. I've found. Uh, how often can you guarantee that connection? Right. Right. And no. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, I've developed a sort of a socket solution for smart devices to talk to a desktop where the desktop can then call web services and sort of distill the data down to the device. Uh, Gordon in uh, Alberta, Canada, wants to know how many coders or employees are involved in creating the MereMortals.net framework? Well, we, there's, there's really two main developers who are involved in that. And we have several others who assist. We find that from the perspective of you know, how many people should be writing code, uh, fewer is often better. <laughs> right, right. And fortunately, my partner is in Maui. So we were just out there a couple weeks ago. So choose your partners well. Not a bad place to work. Yeah. No, not at all. Who's who's using your framework? Yeah, what kinds of people? Yeah, what, what customers? Are there, for example, any uh, financial industry uh, people using it, any financial institutions, uh, any companies that we would recognize? Yeah, there's. Uh, we have different universities using it. We have, uh, proudly, Delta Airlines is usually known for uh, Java work. And uh, we have a company now who's creating a .NET application for Delta Airlines, huh. a company called Serologic. So uh, obviously, everybody's interested in that. But uh, because it's a, it's a generic application framework, you can use it uh, across just about any industry. And they're using that in uh, the, the, the .NET version, not the Fox Pro, because you have a Fox Pro version too, right? Right. Okay. Uh, so but, yeah, it is the .NET version. Getting back to object spaces, with SQL being abstracted away, Jeffrey Palermo writes, uh, how would you interact with the DBAs? How do you manage uh, store procedures differently? Well, um, you can still work with stored procedures, and a lot of people like to use those because you know they're more efficient. Right. So, again, it's up to the persistence manager uh, to, you know, work with one or the other. Uh, it, but, again, the beauty being that whole piece is encapsulated. Hmm. Uh, and, again, you don't touch ADO.net very much. Harry Kobatich wants oh, to okay. know, what design patterns does Mere Mortals use, if any? Um, we use quite a few design patterns. Uh, obviously, since I've been very involved in the UML and design, we, we, we think and work a lot that way. Uh, we use design patterns such as factories. Okay. Uh, we use. Uh, We've never talked about the factory pattern. Well, explain the factory pattern. The factory pattern uh, is a way for it's basically a way you can instantiate classes uh, in a flexible way. Uh, so, for example, uh, inside of our framework in yourmortals.net, there are a number of service level components. So maybe there's a database. Uh, component, uh, security, something for managing users and roles, those sorts of things. Um, 
what we do is we create an abstract class to begin with, and we create a concrete implementation of that. Now, what users can do is they might want to subclass that further and enhance or extend it. So right out of the gate, we try to anticipate that somebody is going to want to do something different. Right. So the question is, how do, if somebody goes ahead and does that, uh, how does the framework instantiate their subclass instead of the concrete class we've got at the framework level? Okay. And oh. the answer is a factory. Uh, the factory, uh, in, in a strongly typed factory, you have a create method for each component. So instead of hard coding a new statement at the framework level, we make a call out to the factory and we say, create the database manager, create the user manager, create the security manager. By default, it'll return an instance of a framework level class. But if they override that factory method, it'll return an instance of their specialized subclass. With any properties that they need to set for any particular situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, Hank Fay wants to know, Kevin, any plans to interface to XCase for generating the XML, which can already generate XML, for use with object spaces as implemented in meremortals.net? Actually, I just got an email about that yesterday. Uh, it is something we're considering. Oh, okay. There you go. And it, Anything else you want to say about that? Or Yeah, well, there are certain things. Uh, I don't know if you folks are familiar with XCase, but uh, again, it's a database design tool, and you can specify all sorts of great things uh, in there uh, regarding your database, and it can automatically generate those things for you. But then that was the next piece of how do I get that into uh, something that can be used from uh, an object spaces style business object. Okay, well, uh, listen, Kevin, we're going to take a pause here in the middle of the show. We're going to uh, hear a word from our sponsor. We're going to hear some music, and we're going to actually be talking to uh, the, the guys up at DevTeach in Montreal. So just hang tight and stick around, okay? Sounds great. All right. Hey, Carl Franklin here giving a shout-out to my friends at Data Dynamics. Uh, we've talked a lot about active reports on this show, and this is no exception. So I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in .NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out ActiveReports for .NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well. Now, let me just tell you, to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application, okay? It doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about, I have some data, I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. PDF format is supported. HTML format is supported. All the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine, drop dead simple, and the best part, it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show.
That was that's a cool song. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe we had a next week do a different one, but uh, it's still fun. You know, it's yeah. exciting to kind of know that the stuff's going out and everything. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah, You're a celebrity in your own right. Oh, stop it! So, uh, uh, Jean Rene Roy from Montreal has joined us to talk a little bit about a conference that he runs up there, which I'm involved in, uh, called Dev Teach. Jean Rene, how are you? Fine. How are you guys are doing? Oh, we're doing great. Doing you, pretty well. You know Kevin. Oh, yeah, very well. For those of you who don't know, Kevin was the uh, tech chair for the .NET track at, at the uh, DevTeach conference. Well, this may be the first time the listener has heard of DevTeach. You know, tell us about it. Uh, I'll be happy to. Uh, DevTeach is, uh, uh, the concept is a, it's a new breed of conference uh, because it's a developer's conference for developer, by developer. What that means is that uh, developers are involved at all levels either at marketing level or at training level or at uh, planification level because we're all developers preparing this uh, huge conference. And uh, that means that uh, you get what developers expect on a conference, like uh, wireless access, uh, like uh, evaluation online, uh, like uh, download session material during the session. Uh, cool. An internet uh, access uh, available either at the bar at night 
or uh, in uh, the trade show, uh, <laughs> or at night, uh, or at lunch while you're eating. Right. So it's really uh, an environment designed for the developer, so that the developer really gets the the maximal uh, the maximum of time to share idea and exchange and create a, a real space where people could really share idea and show stuff and and show information. So that's that's kind of a summarize a little bit what it is, but the idea started for doing a conference for Canadians. And uh, Montreal is a great city because it's a city that's uh, is very old and at the same time very new. So you got a lot of new building mixed with the old building. Hmm. It's, uh, it is a beautiful city. And it, and it has a European look. So it's a great place to visit. Right, well, and unlike time, unlike other conferences, Jean-René, you always are in Montreal, right? You don't go around to different places. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The The concept is also to be uh, a conference always in the same city. And this year we, we did something new. We had the spouse program. Huh. So what so what happened is that you could come with your wife and uh, uh, we have a three-day activity scheduled for her. She'll visit the town. She'll know where to shop. You know, she'll know where to go around during the, the conference. And during the conference, she'll be busy all the time. But if you want to stay longer... What if you want to bring your husband, for example? Yeah. What are, example. Do we have fishing fishing tours for him or... Uh, what we have is, is um, uh, this year we we geared the activity more to uh, tourism of uh, the city and the surrounding. Oh, we're great! Going to Mont Tremblant, which is a great place to visit too. So we're we're we're, we're bringing you on top of a big mountain. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff that uh, we're doing for the spouse program, but we're also having great training. By the way, Kevin is doing a, a vendor session at um, at DevTeach, and. Um, the event. vendor session is, is, is placed in the schedule of all the different sessions. So, uh, so attendee could decide to follow the, the vendor session of, of Kevin to see you know, what, what his product is all about. And the, even better than this, um, we also have the user group night on the Monday night. This is um, hmm. uh, organized with the four large user group in Montreal. That night, it's called for the Dev Teach attendee, the bonus session. Right. But for okay. the user group uh, surrounding Montreal, it's the uh, it's it's called the uh, user group night. Hmm. So you get two extra sessions. If you didn't have time to catch, you know, some of the sessions, you can go see the one that's going to be presented at the user group. Really a, a good a good concept there. Et si on voudrait aller à votre conférence, faut-il savoir parler français ou quoi? Um, pour ceux qui parlent français, on a une traque française qui uh, qui fait que dans une salle, il va y avoir des sessions en français. Ah, vraiment? Du début à la fin. Non, on sait en anglais, je ne peux pas dire que vous n'avez pas compris. C'est une et temps pour moi. Nous avons quatre tracks. Nous avons un .NET avec 61 sessions. Nous avons un uh, SQL Server uh, track avec 28 SQL Server uh, sessions. Nous avons un Visual Fox Pro track avec 27 uh, Visual Fox Pro tracks. Et nous avons un French track. The French track is given by local regional director or other um, certified Microsoft uh, that are presenting in one of the eight rooms. There's one room that's only in French for people that are coming huh. from Quebec that don't speak English at all. Hmm. This conference is still viable because they could attend and they could hear uh, people speaking in French in their language and they don't, you know, have a tr uh, somebody who's producing live. It's really French presentation. And, and for this, it's 
very popular because last year the, the French track was full. Hmm. And uh, people, they, some people are, are better in English than others, and then they decide to go see like Seven or even you. And, and, right. and for this, it's really fun. It does sound like fun, getting to go to a conference that's partially conducted in French. Oh, yeah. I like that idea. Kevin, do you enjoy speaking at DevTeach? Oh, it's great. Uh, Montreal's a great town. Uh, it's nice to, the nightlife there is great. Hmm. Uh, the conference itself is great, too. Uh, lots of good speakers and uh, a lot of sessions I want to go to. It's a nice venue, too. Yeah. Very, I love Montreal in general. I want to go, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting, I, I wanted to go to Montreal anyway. You, you'll go. Yeah. 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 That sounds really cool. I go, you go, right? Sweet. Yeah. Are you guys going to have fun? This will be my second time that I've spoken at DevTeach, and this time I'm actually doing quite a bit more than I did the first time. I'm doing a pre-conference, a four-hour pre-con uh, for VB6 programmers to bring them up to speed in, you know, objects in OOP, which is, you know, the thing that I've been concentrating on, talking to those people recently. And then a, uh, a full-blown masterclass afterwards, sort of adjacent to that. So somebody asked on the... Uh, you know, on the on the chat line, if we were going to do any training classes in Alberta, well, not in Alberta, but in Montreal. So, where's the website where people can read about this? Oh, it's very easy. Uh, Dev teaches the D E V T E A C H like teaching. So it's uh, www.devteach.com. Hmm. Easy. So once you no reach problem. that site, you get everything there. You know, you could see who's doing the keynote. You could see the pre-cons. You get all the information about special events and. Uh, even the uh, information for the spouse program is there with pictures and stuff. You should have a caricature of Rory on the front page going, <laughs> c'est si bon. <laughs> c'est si bon. Yeah, I want to go now. I'm not even kidding, though. I mean, the idea of mixing a cool city with some French oh, and, it's totally and you, computers. Man. Yeah, I want to go. Absolutely. I have to go. Yeah. Hey, come. You'll love it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot for stopping by and telling us about it. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Have that a great fun. day. And now it's time for the Linux vulnerability of the week, ladies and gentlemen, right here on .NET Rocks. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> Got some weird stuff going on this week. <laughs> All right. Well, the Linux vulnerability of the week actually came uh, March 8th, 2004. Last week, and uh, this week, I guess, Linux privilege escalation hole detected. And by the way, what are we doing here? We're, uh, I like to disclaim this every week by saying, you know, we're not saying that Microsoft Windows doesn't have bugs. In fact, some pretty heinous things came out this week as well for Windows. But uh, we just want to give equal time to the other side, who claims many times in, in the press that Linux is bug free and doesn't have the kind of heinous bugs that Windows has. Well, you're wrong. Uh, this, uh, this happened for the second time in as many months. Security researchers have uncovered a privilege escalation security flaw in the Linux kernel. According to an advisory from the computer security consultants, ISEC Security Research, the flaw was found in the Linux kernel memory management code and is completely unrelated to a similar vulnerability reported in February. This flaw carries a critical rating and affects Linux versions 2.2 up to and including 2.2.2.5. Wait a minute, 2.2.25. It also impacts versions 2.4 and up and including up to and including 
2.24, as well as versions 2.6 up to and including 2.6.2. Quote, Proper exploitation of this vulnerability leads to local privilege escalation, giving an attacker full super-user privileges. The vulnerability may also lead to a denial-of-service attack on the available system memory. End quote. ISEC warned. Linux distributor Gen2, G-E-N-T-O-O, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, uh, they confirmed its implementation of the open source operating system was susceptible to the flaw and strongly urged users to upgrade to newer, more secure versions. According to Gen2, arbitrary code with normal non-super-user privileges may be able to exploit this vulnerability and may disrupt the operation of other parts of the kernel memory management subroutines. Youch. A little problematic. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's not bug-free. <laughs> well, there you go. The Linux vulnerability of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> and we're back with Kevin McNeish, and we have a question from Gary Davlin from Oregon Career Information Systems in Eugene, Oregon. That's is that close to Portland? Eugene, it's about it's about two hours away. Okay. Yeah. He says I'm interested in opinions of the use of code generators. I'm currently using the DAO data access objects uh, pattern from Sun. Uh, to abstract out to my data layer. But there can be a lot of coding involved, especially with making changes to existing code. The abstraction works well, but the volume of code can be a bit much. What do you think of that? Yeah, it can be. Um, again, going back to object space is one of the things that it's looking to get rid of. Is uh, You don't need to do that code generation anymore. Hmm. You know, Right now with ADO.net, uh, you take a look at uh, even the code that Microsoft's generator creates, if you use the data adapter wizard and go through, you know, there's a tremendous amount of code that it generates. Yeah. I, in general, I think that as long as you understand what code generators do uh, and you feel comfortable with the amount of code that it's writing and you feel like you can manage it, um, then it's okay. But, you know, what I, what I don't think is good is people who just use code generators as an excuse not to learn how something is done. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I was going to say for more info on code generation and .NET, isn't that kind of what Kathleen Dollard is doing right now? Absolutely. Yeah, she's really into that. And we're going to be interviewing her in uh, May. Yeah, so that's that's her thing. That's her thing. So that'll be good. So hold your question if you can until May. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. We can do about that. He's like, my code, my code. <laughs> uh, we have another question from Jeffrey Palermo, and, and he's the. it just hit me that he's the guy in Iraq from Dell Computer who's in Iraq who oh, uh, right. listens to our show. Right. Yeah, awesome. Well, he says, in some instances, business logic has to check other parts of the database before allowing an operation or calculating things based on many pieces of data in the database. Is this framework just a replacement for what the data access layer is now, or is it supposed to encapsulate some of the business logic as well? Well, um, the, the actual business logic is something else. Right. So sounds like from what you described before is that it wraps ADO.net, and since you can create your own objects from it, then that's where you put your business logic. Can you can you combine code with the with the data object properties of uh, you know of the business objects? Sure. Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, instead of generating data access code, what you do is uh, you generate 
the actual uh, business objects themselves. Right. And those can be a mix of, you know, grab this property from this table or this field from this table and also, you know, implement this custom method or something. Right. Exactly. Okay. So you start out with that and then uh, with that generation, you can even subclass that and go on from there. Uh, but this is so much easier to implement business rules using object spaces than with ADO.net. Okay. I have another uh, question from Joshua Carlisle from Raleigh, North Carolina at Coventry Healthcare. Going back to the object spaces, is there any way to optimize how the data is accessed? Like any code generator and object spaces seems like one, it's only as good as the developer who created it. So if you want to optimize it, does it allow a path? Secondly, with object spaces being SQL only for now and Yukon coming out in the next century or so that has uh, somewhat similar functionality using classes to abstract a relational data source, is there any comparison between the two? And I think we've already answered the first part of that where, I mean, if you can basically start with objects that you've written uh, and you just add the object space sort of data layer, then uh, then you can extend it to your heart's content. But what about that second question about, you know, Yukon? Yeah, well, uh, object spaces uh, is SQL Server specific right now in, you know, where it is in beta or alpha, and but Microsoft will be supporting other backends. Okay. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, and, and at that point, you know, you are somewhat at the mercy of the persistence manager, right? That if that code's being encapsulated and handled for you, uh, hopefully they're doing a good job with that. I've actually talked to people who are on these teams at Microsoft, and uh, speed is quite a concern for them. Uh, hmm. That's one of the things they really want to get right. Uh, obviously, there's going to be some performance hit uh, doing huge collections of objects. Uh, right but uh, they really want to minimize that. But the, the way we are approaching it is I've created a uh, persistence manager wrapper, and I can work with object spaces, or I could work with another persistence manager. Right. So, uh, in fact, if you go to uh, wilson.net uh, on the Internet, you'll find that uh, Paul Wilson, who is ASP.net MVP, has created a uh, product that emulates, for the most part, object spaces. Hmm. And so uh, we're actually integrating with that now uh, to be able to get object spaces earlier than later. So it sounds like it's open. I mean, if you want to write your own sort of designers and things, you can... Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. So do you see the the performance issue going away in the future as we get more optimized code and working in there at that level? Yeah, I think it'll be far less of an issue. I mean, honestly... Uh, how much data should you be returning? You know, it would be far less of an issue when we have 10 gigahertz processors. Well, I was just going to say, you've got your 30% <laughs> performance hit, so get a 30% faster PC, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Problem solved. Well, you've got huge amounts of data you're chunking through. Maybe that should be in a stored procedure anyway. True. Yeah. Well, all the same, though. I mean, this is one of those situations where hardware is getting cheaper, and you're talking about maintainability and cleanliness of design versus should we spend another few thousand on a server, right? Right. And in some cases, I think the hardware is going to pay off. Oh, it, so, it does every time. So, I mean, yeah. even thinking about that 30% uh, performance ding, there's going to be places where that's going to be made up for. Yeah, in some and places, can, it's going to be irrelevant. De- yeah, and you can deal with it. You know, just keep throwing it's like iron when, at it. It's like when VB4 came out, you know, and it was 32-bit, and everybody said, oh, it's too slow. You know, I was saying, actually, at that time, you know, this is a temporary problem. 
you know, a year from now, we're not going to care. Yeah, when we've got our dual CPU 286s and stuff. Uh, Eric from C Sharp Box in Australia again says, uh, the worst thing about modeling a system in Visio is the lack of .NET libraries in the design template. Is there any workaround to import all classes from the .NET framework into Visio? Um, a fellow who co-authored the book with me uh, on uh, UML with Visual Studio .NET uh, actually has templates uh, that you can get for hmm. uh, the .NET framework. Uh, honestly, uh, what's interesting about reverse engineering is if you have a mo- you have a class model uh, in Visual Studio.net, if you reverse engineer it, it actually includes all of the .NET framework base classes that derive from it. So uh, you can get actually get quite a few if you did a reverse engineer to begin with. Mm. So uh, there are templates out there that people can provide in Visio that do have the .NET base classes in them. Hmm. There's a, f- a fan who uh, commented on your song. It's kind of like the Breakfast Club. Uh, very cool. Where is Molly Ringwald when you need her, he yeah. says. Uh, Eric qualifies his question about uh, polymorphic queries. He says, Carl, just to make myself clear, as I understood about polymorphic queries in the object spaces documentation, is the ability to query the persistence layer like this, select star object, where object implements type of, and in parentheses, an interface. But I believe Kevin has already answered that. Cheers. That is the OPATH language I talked about. Want to read uh, Gary's question here? Let's see. Which one is that? Is that the Gary Devlin? Devlin Okay, so just to clarify, I'm using the DAO pattern in C-sharp code. It basically sets up an abstract factory, which returns interfaces to a data layer that implements most of the create, read, update, and delete logic. The business objects are all in classes with no direct knowledge of the underlying database. My question had to do with generating the underlying framework code. The framework you're talking about sounds like it provides the same level of abstraction without all the, let's see, I lost a little bit. Manual work. Without all the manual yeah. work, right. That, that's right. Uh, no more code generation of ADO.NET code, no data access class for a particular business object. There's one persistence manager that uh, you tell me, tell it, give me an object, use OPATH or what have you, or a primary key, and it returns that to you. Uh, so it becomes your data access layer. It's, it sounds like we're, we're getting some confusion between the Mirror Mortals framework and object spaces. Is there any overlap there? Uh, Mere Mortals framework uses uh, object space technology. Okay. Or will use once it's uh, out. Uh, we're once that version is out. Right. Once yeah. uh, object space 2005 out, rolls kind of. around now, I guess. Right. <laughs> but we're actually uh, using Persistence Manager now that I mentioned before that is emulating object spaces. So, which we can do is we're providing a migration path. Uh, okay. Use what we've got now. When Object Spaces comes out in 2005, move over to that. Harry uh, Kobatish wants to know, does uh, Mere Mortals use any of the Microsoft PAG blocks from the PAG group at Microsoft Patents uh, and Practices? No, it doesn't. Okay. Uh, basically, a lot of the stuff they're doing in their application blocks, we've already done. Oh, I because I was going to ask you what you thought of their stuff. Yeah, they've uh, definitely got some cool stuff. Uh, and... Uh, there are a few things I would like to look at that I haven't integrated uh, that would be interesting to see what they've done. But that's the sort of thing that we have done already. Kevin, what do you think of type data sets? Um, 
Type data sets uh, are a good thing. Uh, they actually are similar to what I'm talking about with object spaces from the perspective of surfacing, you know, rather than drilling down into collections of uh, data rows, data columns, to finally get at your data. You can surface those as properties of the data set instead. So Microsoft's really just building a wrapper around the regular data set with the type data set. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're still dealing with ADO.net. Right. Uh, I've actually uh, heard of people, and I'm working on this project project myself, that will uh, look at a database, look at a data table or a series of tables and store procedures in that database and shell out to xsd.exe to generate uh, type data set classes and then add uh, wrappers for store procedures directly that can return either uh, data sets or, or readers or arrays or collections or however you want to set it up. And, um, and I, th I think that's very cool because, you know, the, one, of the, one of the problems with Things like this, especially when you start to become dependent on them, is they're so tightly cast, you know, they're uh, tight, they're strongly typed to the data. So if the schema changes, and this is the issue we were bringing up with object spaces, if the schema changes, now you have to go and regen all that code, which is okay for one table, but if you have right. to do it for a bazillion tables and then all the store procedures and all that stuff, you end up in, you know, in, uh, in trouble, da data set example. hell. Right. Yeah. So it would be so nice to be able to just, you know, click a button and go ahead and go out and do all that work all at once, bring right. it back into an object. This goes back to something that Bill Vaughn talks about, though. And it's really simple. It's his one line sort of design it in the first place, you know. So uh, I, I personally like the idea of strongly typed data sets so much that I think it's almost worth it to sit down and actually design that database ahead of time. And you know, make sure that everything's gonna. It's true. You'll you'll have moving targets. You, yeah, especially it, if you have a marketing department. Right. You'll have you'll have moving targets. There's always going to be change changes. Everything right. now. Right. But uh, but and yeah. as Alan Cooper says, the developers are you know the the psyche is we have to make this change. We have to make it now. Nothing else. You know, it has to be done this way. When they're right. just asking, hey, what do you think about this? Sure. You know. <laughs> but but if you don't have that moving target problem, obviously strongly typed data sets are pretty sweet. Right. Right. Then you can also get. You know, at compile time, checking your errors too, uh, with things right. versus you're using columns and, and numbers or, or column names, quotes, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, Vaughn is a big fan of using enumerations for column ordinals. Right. Are you are you in that camp, or is that overkill for you? No, I, I think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, Microsoft takes this even further. Have you guys seen uh, Zen? Well, I oh, know what it that, is, but the strange sort of uh, mix of this weird hybrid language, isn't that what it is? Right. Basically, one of the big problems it solves is uh, strongly typing select statements. So let's say you continue right. to go down the ADO.net path and you're instead of doing something like object spaces, uh, I mean, how can we get the compiler to catch uh, errors in your select statement? And can you get IntelliSense on select statements? Right. So we should be able to kind of an extension to the C-sharp language. Right. You with, should be able to do that in Yukon a bit. Right? We hope. We hope. Yeah. So that, I'm getting kind of excited about this object space, this stuff, the more we talk about it. Right. If you like typed data sets, right. you really like uh, Well, spaces. except typed data sets can actually speed things up in some cases, whereas object spaces seem to be, from what you're saying, is that there's a performance hit. Well, it sounds to me like there's the trade-off there. You, you have the performance hit, but if I understand correctly, with your object spaces mumbo-jumbo, you 
a, a lot of it's abstracted away. So instead of going against the actual uh, column name, for example, you're going to be going against you know a property. You define what the property is going to be called, and you define the abstractions. Is that right? Right. Right, but it's still slow. Sure, but so, it's only 30% slower, Carl. Well, I mean, okay. Get 30% also, more patience and it'll be okay. It's also a, uh, you know, an alpha version speed when I talk to them. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that, you take a look at something like uh, this. That's a very with- significant point. Let me just interrupt you there. That's a very <laughs> significant point. Now I don't feel so bad. Yeah. Uh, alpha code is always going to be 30% slower. So who knows? Uh, everything I said about performance could be completely moot. Yeah, and to show you what's possible, uh, if you look at uh, Paul Wilson's uh, Wilson.net. Um, he's actually got speed that is comparable, sometimes better than data sets. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because behind the scenes, you know, he's really using data readers uh, to pull the data in. Well, that's and, what the data adapter does anyway. Right. So, you know, that's what's possible. Uh, so, so an- another issue in terms of speed is um, we were talking about how this is going to be SQL backended, but aren't there databases out there that have been designed for um, object relation mapping? There are. They're object-oriented data, uh, sure. databases. And wouldn't these probably provide better performance for as a store for this information, or am I just totally out of my mind here? Uh, good question. Or did you not forget to drink your Kool-Aid this morning? No, I drank the Kool-Aid, but sometimes <laughs> you got you to remember there's different flavors of the Kool-Aid. You know, this, this is good stuff here. It, it's good stuff to know. And uh, I mean, you're still using the .NET front end. If your concern is performance, you can still use .NET in this case and uh, maybe just swap out the, the DB if there's a way of doing that mm. for when it's friendlier to the system. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I've I've heard about stuff. Up I've right heard now. about these object-oriented <laughs> databases actually, and they're very intriguing. I wonder if Microsoft is going to be heading in that direction anytime yeah. soon. Well, I don't you'd know. think so with this object spaces stuff. Yeah, you would think. You would hope that there's something going on in the labs, but who knows? Well, if we could compile all that object space code in the database, hmm, UConn. Hmm. Hmm, <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Did I say that? I'm just <laughs> totally conjecturing right now, and I'm totally serious. I didn't read that anywhere. Right. It was just sort of came to me. I don't know just came to me coming down from the heavens on a flaming pie well when is this uh, object space stuff supposed to come out in the Whidbey time frame that's right which I, I guess now they're saying a beta later in the year in 2005 sometime for, for Whidbey I mean we sort of assume that right I didn't <laughs> I <laughs> you didn't know man I know no after after getting a taste of generics um Yes. Yeah, I kind of want to know. Speaking of which, you were saying that with object spaces, we're going to get back, you said what was like an object reader? Mm-hmm. So are we going to have generics there instead of having to just grab objects out and uh, cast them on the fly? Are we going to be able to use generics in that I case? I can't imagine, no. I mean, that they wouldn't it's do such it right a new there. feature yeah. would be. Why, why wouldn't put they it be? everywhere. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be using it? Right. Hmm. No, I think that's true. Sweet. I, yeah, I, I, it makes me wonder about some of the old tools you know, now generics is such a fundamental thing. Are some of the old tools in the framework going to be, you know, see ya? Right. Because they don't use generics. You but, know. you know, we've, you know, so excited about the object spaces coming, you know, uh, but this is why we're really trying to provide it now. It really changes, like, how a type data set is generated, right? Because a type data set is like a custom set of custom collections. Uh-huh. And so if you use generics instead... You know, that type data set code could change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder if they're going to do that. Doubt it, but... Yeah. Well, that's the uh, that's the, the cost of 
of uh, innovation, I suppose. Right. So what else have you been working on these days, Kevin? Uh, obviously, you've been speaking at uh, places like DevTeach, but um, writing books, talking to user groups. What do you What do you do with the MVP program? What What else is going on in your life besides mere mortals and object spaces? Um, I have been doing speaking, uh, going to different user groups, and I try to hit one a month. Um, and often what I'm talking about is uh, architecting for the .NET event model. It's something I talk a lot about, where we really dive deep into uh, events in .NET and how you can make use of them in your application. Uh, hmm. So I find a lot of people have a passing understanding of events uh, enough to get in trouble, but don't really understand how it works behind the scenes and truly understand how delegates work and yeah. uh, those sorts of things. So uh, Events good. <laughs> yeah, oh, they are. And uh, you know, to be able to define your own events, uh, we've done quite a bit with that. Now, what do you mean by define your own event? Just make your own custom events that you raise? Right, because uh, oftentimes, uh, let's say you're talking about the user interface layer. Uh, let's say you want to affect all user interface controls. Uh, a lot of times what someone will do is drill down through, find every user interface control, say, is this the one I'm looking for? Is this the one? Should right. On this? Where instead, uh, like for example, we have uh, localization. So let's say I want to translate the form from English to German. If uh, maybe I've got a little, I press a little button, go poof, uh, I want to see it displayed in a different language. Well, what we do, and we raise an event at the form level uh, called localize. And uh, all controls that are localizable respond to that event hmm. and translate themselves. Your primary language, Kevin, is C Sharp or VBNet? Uh, C Sharp. Okay. And what other languages do you program in besides C Sharp? I mean, I mean, I know you're a Fox Pro guy. Right. But, uh, uh, I actually started out in assembly language. Hmm. Ooh. Great place to start. I uh, uh, actually came over from the hardware world, and I was actually writing firmware for computers. Hmm. And, uh, Which computers? Actually, uh, it was the PC was just born, and so I worked for a company that made their own computer as a proprietary. Like a clone? No. <laughs> what, what was it called? Um. Gosh, I don't even remember. <laughs> but uh, it's a yeah, computer they company. The, <laughs> they created uh, the Bananas Junior, right? Six thousand. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually software for inventory software for auto parts stores. So InvoSoft part, something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I started out with assembly language, and they also I also wrote assembly language for PDP eight, PDP eleven. Ooh. Then we moved up to C from assembly language, which is so much easier. Right. But. Uh, did quite a long stint in Fox Pro. Uh, I never did Fox Pro. What yeah. what is so great about Fox? Why did there seems to be like a Fox Pro cult out there that just won't let this product yeah. die? What, data, what is, data, data. Hmm. Well, we have data in in other languages. What's so cool about Fox? Well, it's still when it comes to how fast can you access data and manipulate it. Fox Pro just blows the doors off just about anything. Really? But I mean, how scalable is it though? You can access SQL Server if that's what you mean, or Oracle. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, how scalable is a Fox Pro database? Well, uh, you know, the database is one part of it. Fox Pro is still fast accessing SQL Server. See, the thing is, it's two things: it's a database and it's a language. And isn't the language kind of Pascal-ish? Isn't that the deal? I'm trying to remember. I've I've never used it. I've just sort of no, it's, heard it's things. More it's verbose. like this. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Huh. It, it'd be more verbose like VB would be. Really? Okay. Yeah. But it got object orientation in 1995. Hmm. And uh, it's actually still a great product. Uh, Microsoft doesn't throw a lot of support behind it, but because it's not in the .NET box now, right? you know, that's not a good thing. Hmm. But uh, that's the book. Uh- Dot never visual Fox show developers. Right. So you're trying to bring them on on board. Kind right. Of. And you know I don't advocate go rewrite all your visual Fox show applications. I mean Microsoft's not doing that with its stuff. But right. if you're going to create something new, you really might want to think about .NET. Yeah. I also wanted to say, Kevin, earlier you mentioned um, a site called Wilson.net, and one of our listeners, uh, James Hansen, pointed out that it's actually Wilson.net.com. So for oh, anybody, yeah, for anybody who's trying to go to the site. Right. Wilson, D-O-T-N-E-T dot com. Yeah. Right. As opposed to dot N-E-T dot C-O-M, which is how I made it sound, actually. So you never know. occur to me. Yeah. You never know. Somebody (laughs) might be sitting out there with a question mark over their head. Right. Uh, Steven Markowitz asks, I heard a Microsoft person mention Shadowfax, the code name for a distributed application reference architecture project created by the Microsoft Platform Architecture Guidance Team. Uh, if you're familiar with it, can you describe what this is? Also, Paul Sheriff also sells a .NET framework called PDSA Productivity Framework. Is this similar to Mere Mortals? Um, it is. Uh, as far as shadow facts, I'm not familiar with it. Okay. Uh, are you Are you folks? No, no, never heard of it. Yeah. yeah Microsoft has a number of different uh, research projects going on. Some of them see the light of day. Some, some of them never see the light of day. Yep. Yeah. As far as Paul Sherr's framework would go, uh, it, it would perform a, a similar function where his is also an application framework. I'm not very familiar with it, but that much I do know. Well, it seems like there's quite a few people out there that have their own framework sort of thing uh, for different that are focused on different things. I know I don't know if they're making it available, but I know that the guys at Code Magazine wrote a completely from scratch Windows Forms controls library. Right. Uh, they have their own controls that are very specialized to their sort of applications they write in-house. But talk about, you know, the thing we did uh, on the Dev Days um, track, the Issue Vision application that we're talking about at Dev Days and we're showing, you know, how it has the nice XP-looking feel with the little guy MSN Messenger-type icons and those, things. Those cool icons. Who does that? I don't know, but, uh, you know, Marcus Egger's framework is full of those things. And I don't know if he's going to release that or hmm. or what, but... But yeah. it seems like, I mean, it seems like really any any shop that's going to sit down and do anything with .NET is going to make some kind of subclass of general controls just to add the features that they want. Obviously, it's not perfect right out of the box. And what I mean by perfect is perfect for your situation. Right. Right. Yeah. Marcus is, does a great job with UI. Yeah, I've worked he with is. him on projects before, and he just blows the doors off his clients. With he just comes up with some wonderful stuff. But right. he actually, the framework he's got, uh, he uses in house. They write applications for people, uh, so they'll write the entire application for you or part of it or whatever. And if they do that, they use that framework. Yeah. Uh, but he said he wasn't going to make it commercially available just to sell it, and you go use it. Right. By the way, this is the time when you should, if you know the uh, secret namespace of the week, you should go to www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks and send it to us. And if we if we pick your name from the list of correct answers, we will send you a copy of Windows Server 2003 uh, Enterprise 
uh, either enterprise or standard, depending on what we have left in stock with 25 client license accesses. And uh, that comes complements of the Microsoft Regional Director Program. And uh, so go ahead and go ahead and send us the secret namespace of the week. Before you're even done, Carl, we got like... <laughs> <laughs> it, lo- it looks like Mark Kenyon hit it. I just wanted to say that it looked to me like some people were sending it in before it was announced. Right. And, and some of them say like the laptop battery is dying or I had to leave work. And we feel for those people. We really do. It's but true. at the same time, it wouldn't be fair to anybody else. We can't take them until it's been announced. That's true. Yeah. Yep. And then we will pick from just randomly from the uh, correct answers. Oh, is that how it works randomly? It's a random process. Oh, I yep. did not know that. Yep. I always thought we just picked the first. Never oh, mind. No, 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 no. Oh, it's not okay. a race. So then we can have those people. Yeah, we can. Well, we do, we want to discourage people from sending it right after we announce it. Of course, but yeah. you know, if Which you're some within people a do, minute, believe it or not, if you're within a minute or two, it's sure. okay. Okay, I didn't know that. Never mind. The people whose laptop battery is dying had to go home and <laughs> do whatever. Okay, you're still in the running. Cool. Well, that makes me feel better because I felt bad for those people for a minute. And by the way, uh, ooh, Scott, Scott W. is uh, Scott wow. who Scott who W whose last name we can never pronounce. What water my sick. Sisk. I, can, I, I can't do it either. I, that's why it's Scott W. That's why we call Scott him Scott W. w. Uh, says, for your information, Shadowfax is Microsoft's SOA, service-oriented architecture sample application. So I'm just getting fanboyish here. That's so cool that Scott <laughs> W is out there. He's the guy who wrote uh, .text, the, right. the blogging app that so many of us are using. ASP.net uses yeah. that and my blog and your yeah, blog Yeah, weblogs.asp.net. Right. Wow. We are getting so many people this time for the namespace of the week. This is... It's it's the biggest it's been. This is something. This is the biggest show live that we've we've done. Ninety three people out there listening, and and as you know, I said before, we do a little bit of a pre show, and you know sometimes we'll stop during the show if we have, you know, a technical glitch or something like that. So we don't worry about that because these are the diehard fans listening live, and this is still kind of like the you know the wild frontier here, right? I mean, we're we are new to this, and we're not live broadcast experts. But I think, Carl, between you and Jeff, you guys have done a really, really good job. Oh, thank you. For, for the most part, we we tend to get through the show glitch-free, and I'm really impressed. What are the uh, sessions besides your, you know, overview or intro to Mere Mortals that you're doing at DevTeach? Oh, excellent question. I think I'm doing uh, what's new. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Let me look it up. <laughs> I think I'm doing what's new in C-sharp. Oh, cool. Uh, and... I'm pretty sure I'm digging into uh, Windows Forms. Great. And uh, actually enhancing the development environment. I had to learn a lot integrating MereMortals.net into Visual Studio. Right. And there's a lot of things that it's just not obvious. Uh, So we talk about a lot of those things, using attributes in your custom controls and that sort of thing. Right. What do you think of uh, the new data grid? stuff in Windows Forms in WIDBY. Which things are you thinking of? Well, I'm thinking of they have a new enhanced grid where you can uh, drop down, you know, custom columns like uh, a combo box or a drop down list box or a check box or a, or a button or all, I mean, just really rich grid right. UI. Yeah, those, awesome. things, those things are great. And, and in fact, people have made a living selling just a data grid that's better than the current data grid. Oh, it's now. true. The current data grid, if you want to do anything besides text or a checkbox, you know, you're you're out of luck. Right. Uh, you're not out of luck, but you'd have to uh, spin around on your head and... Throw chicken blood on everything. Right. You have to carve a potato or something. Right. <laughs> well, any last minute uh, comments that you want to 
make before we sign off here, Kevin? Well, um, I've heard a couple of questions about remoting and those sorts of things. And uh, it's uh, always a question to ask, you know, because I can remote, should I? Is that something I should always do? Uh, should I always have my business layer being exist someplace else? And oftentimes the, the rationale for doing that was we want to make it really easy to upgrade our business object DLL. There's just one application server. Boom, we update it and it's done. Right. But uh, then you start moving more towards a uh, dumb terminal application too. Yeah. Uh, you know, from Microsoft in Visual Studio 6 came up with Windows DNA which was explained an architecture that was more performant. And you took a business object and broke it into two pieces. And uh, I think that's probably, even in the .NET world, is a better approach. Yeah. So you can still have some processing done on the workstation and other processing done on an application server. Just because we're .NET doesn't mean NTR is going away. It's here to stay. Right. It's always going to be here to stay. It's not a fad. Right. So. The, the same common sense practices still make sense. Yes. If you're still putting ADO net code behind buttons, you need to get a, che- a check up from the neck up. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Great. So the lucky winner of the visual, uh, not visual, of the Windows Server 2003 uh, Enterprise Edition 25 client licenses is Kevin McConnell from LinkNet. Bravo. Bravo. All right. Congratulations, Kevin. We need your uh, your mailing address uh, there in Potomac, Maryland. So send us an email or send us a message with that, and we will catch you later. See, people are not one of my aliases, but that's nothing. <laughs> All right. People are catching on, you know. It's true. For the prizes. Uh, that's it's pretty true. cool. Listen and win big stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, Kevin, on behalf of Rory and myself, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show and we will catch you next time on .NET Rocks. All right. Thanks for having me. See you Thanks, later, man.